he's like recorded some of the greatest drummers of all time. So if he wants me to try something, I'll, I'll give it a try. You know, I was like, in my head, I was like, there's no way this is going to work. This is a stupid idea, but you know, it's Gil, I'll do it, I'll try it. Welcome to Growing Up Punk, the podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. My name is David, and my friend that you're going to hear uh, on this episode, of course, is Aaron. He had the opportunity to sit down with Ryan Richards. He plays drums in Funeral for a Friend. Uh, there was a period of time where he wasn't in the band, but when they got back together, he was back in the band again. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, and they're going to chat about a number of things. You know, what was the scene like in Wales growing up, which is where Ryan is from, and also what it was like being a band from a town in Wales making their way in North America. They also chat about the unique way that Ryan recorded his drums for their record, Tales Don't Tell Themselves, which uh, when I, when I heard about this, I, I just wonder, is that a common thing? I don't know. So they get into chatting about that as well. I'm not going to spoil too much if you don't know how they were recorded. I'll let, I'll let them tell the story. Uh, and if you've ever wondered, you know, how some bands and musicians feel when they make a shift in their sound and, you know, maybe the fans' reaction shifts as well, positive or negative, you know, kind of how that feels for a band, for a musician. So they discuss that as well. And throughout this whole episode, of course, they cover five songs from Funeral for a Friend that Ryan wanted to talk about and share some stories behind. So that's coming up as well. I'm sure uh, you will enjoy that. Plenty of insight there. Uh, But before we get into the interview, I just thought, you know, let's do some housekeeping. Go ahead, follow us on our social medias at Growing Punk Pod on Twitter and Instagram. If you're on TikTok, we're, we're on there too. Not really posting a whole lot, but hey, it's a thing. Um, you'll find us on Facebook as well. And of course, wherever you're listening to the show, make sure you share it with your friends. That's really the number one way that you can help this show grow is uh, if you share episodes with your friends. If you got a friend who's a fan of Funeral for a Friend, why not share this episode with them? Um, or any of our past episodes, for that matter. And, of course, rate it, review, subscribe, all that kind of stuff. Help the show grow so we can start sharing these episodes and sharing these stories from you know, artists sharing uh, the stories behind their songs that they've got going on. So, without further ado, let's not waste any more time, shall we? Okay, I wasted a couple of seconds, but let's get into this interview. It's Aaron chatting with Ryan Richards, drummer in Funeral for a Friend. So what was one of the first, you know, punk or hardcore or something in that realm? What was what was the first album that you remember really impacting you? Um, yeah, I think I think in the in the punk hardcore realm, I mean, obviously gr- growing up in the UK, you know, we had a lot of the the classic punk stuff, you know, like the like the Sex Pistols and the Clash and the Damned and and all that stuff and um 
you know, my dad liked a, a lot of that. But in terms of the, you know, me finding punk and hardcore, I think, I think you know, one of the earliest is probably like Boy Sets Fire, I think, um, oh, yeah. after the eulogy um, was definitely a big one for me in terms of, you know, I mean, like I, when I was growing up and people were into, you know, Green Day and Rancid and, and and stuff like that. It was I was never I was never huge into into that side of it. Um, but I think you know I think when I found Boy Says Fire, for example, you know they were a lot um, harder in places, and you know the the political message and and everything else. I mean, I think that was my first time um, really falling in love with um, at that time in my life modern. Um, punk and hardcore yeah and was that stuff fairly accessible there like either in music stores or were you getting you know north american bands touring through where you were from quite a bit or was that all like well i think i think that goes back to one of one of the big things that um got me into discovering that side of of things was uh was one of the the, the victory records hardcore samplers yeah um, of course which is probably a gateway for a lot of people, I think, to get into uh, into punk, hardcore, metal, and um, and whatnot. I remember picking it up um, at at my local record store, and it just looked cool, you know, because it had like a mosh pit on the front and whatnot. And there were all these bands on the back that, I mean, some of them, you know, a couple of them I knew, um, most of them I didn't, but. You know, some I was like, oh, that's a cool name for a band, blah, blah, blah. You know, Earth Crisis. Oh, that sounds pretty cool. Um, and yeah, I took that away. And there was there was so much cool stuff on that. And um, you know, back in back at the end of the 90s, there was there was, you know, so much cool stuff coming out on on Victory Records. And uh, that was a big gateway record for me. I think it was called like Victory Style Volume. I wanna I wanna say that was maybe number two. That oh, one. Okay. And they, did, yeah. they did quite a few, you know, they did quite a few of them and as victory sort of turned into a different kind of uh record label i guess you know with bands like like taking back sunday and stuff like that and you know it's was, it was kind of different then but um but yeah getting into getting into a lot of good stuff through that yeah well that's awesome that's that's cool that things like that made made its way there and maybe yeah i don't i don't necessarily know kind of how all that works in different parts of the world and with distribution, but that's awesome that things that, you know, impact someone like me in, you know, Saskatchewan, Canada can impact someone, you know, on the other side of the world. So, yeah. What about the kind of local scene there? What was what was that like? Like, were you from a big enough place where there was a thriving local scene or what was your experience with that? Yeah, yeah, there was. I mean, you know, for me, it was always more um, um, the, the metal scene in South Wales, Um and it was it was one of those things where our scene at the time was was built upon. I mean, just again to go back to that particular release. I remember a friend of mine who was um, a promoter in the town which which I live in now, um, and he had that CD and kind of made it his um, aim to bring every band from that CD to play our, you know, shitty little venue there. Um, and, and a lot of them did, you know. I mean, we got um, we got Snapcase coming through. We got Earth Crisis, you know. We got, um, you know, so, so many bands who who, 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 are, who are on that record. Well, Boy Says Fire as well. Um, but, um, yeah, so it, it was basically we would put bands together 
um, you know, we would make bands so that we would get to play with with the bands we liked. I mean, that was right. the sort of extent of the, um, you know, that's that's how how high we were aiming. Really, um, the ambition of it was just that, oh, you know, if we're if we're pretty decent, we might get to jump on that show with with these guys when we come through town, and and that was it until I guess until the early two thousands. Then when when bands started getting signed um, from from Wales, you know whether that be you know Dub War or Lost Profits or Douglas and stuff like that, and then when Funeral got signed, then it, so a lot came after that. Um, Bullock, my Valentine, then and uh, right. Blackout and and stuff like that. So um, so yeah, it, cha- it all changed around that time, I think. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Yeah, so without kind of getting into the whole history, you know, kind of how the band started, could you give you give just a brief kind of, you know, timeline of you know between when you guys started and when you you know when you got signed and, um, you know, started releasing albums a bit more worldwide. Like, kind of how did that all come together? Was that a long timeline or was that fairly quick? It was fairly quick, really, because the the bands that we were putting together to play these shows um started you know they started splitting up and um people were you know some people were were growing out of that scene and you know getting married and having kids and and whatnot and it was all and it's like the the people who who are lifers in the scene kind of all ended up coming together um and i was in a band with 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 some of those guys we were in a band called honda mclean and um and then the the sort of another band splintered off then and that was funeral for a friend and um so they made they made a demo and we made a demo both at the same studio um in, in like the early 2001 i guess it was and um and we both started getting a bit of uh, attention and um off the off that ep the funeral for a friend they, they got signed to a small indie label and um, then their drummer left. Um, so I got asked to, well, I just got asked to fill in for them at first for a little while, just to do a couple of shows um, and some radio sessions. But I'd been in bands with two of the guys who were in Funeral. So just ended up joining. And um, it came, yeah, it all, it all went pretty quickly from there. I mean, that was the end of, that was like mid 2002. And then I guess by the end of 2003, we had finished recording, you know, we had released our first record, um, signed to a major label. And by early 2004, that was our first U.S. tour. Um, we came out on our first U.S. tour, which is a killer tour. We we came out with, um, so it was From Autumn to Ashes, Headlining, uh, Cave In, were main yeah. support, and then Every Time I Die, and we were opening. So it was a, it's a pretty rad tour to be to be part of first time. And um yeah, I mean, we spent so much time in the States and Canada. Um, every record we made, it was like, I think, yeah, I mean, it felt like the the US and Canada was a priority, I guess, because we were there so much. I mean, you know, we were, we were bigger in the UK and Europe and other places, like, you know, Australia, Japan, whatever. But in the States, it was just somewhere because it's so big and because you're touring there like two, three months at a time. It was like, you know, felt like a US band for a while. Yeah. And was that something you as the band kind of had hopes for was, you know, getting, you know, across the ocean or did you think it was yeah. going to take you that far? Yeah. I mean, that, that was, 
I mean, it was so, you know, it's a hope for any, I think, UK band to, you know, to to get out there and and to and to see the world and to and to tour internationally and and certainly um i think you know there's the whole thing about breaking north america or or whatnot and it was never about that really it was just um you know we took influence from a lot of uh, the u.s scene um so so when those band you know for the first 18 months we were a band it was almost like, you know, the big bands that were coming over to the UK, we would end up supporting them at their headline shows. You know, we we did that with uh, From Autumn to Ashes. We, you know, we supported Coheed and Cambria. We supported Finch, Boy uh, Sets Fire then um, as well. So so it was always, you know, and, and they would always say, oh, you know, guys, you know, you'd, you'd do well in the States if you ever managed to get over. I think, you know, I think people would like you guys out there. So, um so once we signed a record deal and had management, it was always like, you know, yeah, check out, you know, see if we can do something in the state. If there's any tours, go in there. And um, like I said, the first one we got was uh, was was pretty great. So it was it was definitely something that we 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 would have certainly hoped to do. And and we got a tour a lot out there, which was which was a lot of fun. Yeah, sounds like lots of great opportunities, especially you know for a, for a newer younger band coming up. Like, but it doesn't always happen you know, kind of that organically. So that's, you know, it, one goes to show that you must have been a good band if, you know, if it was happening that quick and and then sometimes, you know, just things come together, you know, quicker than, than other times. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we, we got a lot of support from, um, like I said, the, the American bands always seem to, um, you know, to, to, to take us out, which was, which was great. I mean, we we did so many tours out there. We you know we toured with Taken Back Sunday out there again. Coheed, Story of the Year, the Used. It's, so we did we did a lot of that. I mean, we did Warp Tour two two summers, uh, two thousand five and two thousand seven. So um, we definitely put our time in the in the US and uh, yeah, spent a lot of time there. Yeah, well, it was. I mean, pretty much the perfect time for a band like Funeral for a Friend to you know, to break out, right? In those early 2000s, yeah, like the bands you mentioned, you know, Story of the Year, The Used, Take Back Sunday, like all those bands, that style was was really blowing up. And, I mean, I wasn't, like, I liked, I liked all those bands. I wasn't, like, super into them. But, yeah, there was something about Funeral for a Friend that stood out. Like, I think, you know, it was heavier at times than some of those bands and just some different dynamics, um, but yeah, let's well, let's yeah, let's get into uh, some of these songs you picked here because I know it's uh, it's late there, so I don't want to uh, go too <laughs> long here. But yeah, so casually dressed and deep in conversation is uh, the second album um, from Funeral for a Friend. It was released on October thirteenth, two thousand three. Uh, the cover of the album, as well as its subsequent singles, is based on a small series of paintings by a Belgian artist. Uh, titled The Lovers. I just wanted to mention that because I always loved the cover of this album. I was always intrigued by like what its symbolism was or what, you know, what kind of it meant. And, and uh, yeah, it kind of stood out from, from some of the other artwork that was coming out at the time. And so, yeah, upon its release, this album received positive reception from critics and was a commercial success. You know, it went on to, to sell, you know, over 100,000 copies. That was, you know, years ago, so I'm not sure what it's at now. But, you know, pretty impressive for, for a band's kind of first full length. So that was, yeah, a lot to wrap in there. But, yeah, amazing. 
Yeah, yeah, it was it was fun times, and you know, on the artwork, like you say, that was based on those paintings, um, the lovers, and um, and it was something uh, someone at our label caught at the time. You know, he he loved that painting, and he decided to do these sort of variations on it that he thought fitted with our sound and whatnot. And and we yeah, we got so much out of that really. I mean, you know, because we we released a lot of singles off that record and. You know, did a lot of um, you know special editions of the record, and so 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 he ended up doing. I mean, it must have been about like ten or fifteen variations of that artwork in different things, and we we did a couple of video music videos as well, which had those people in it. So got a lot of mileage out of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. Well, even before, like, I remember hearing your uh, Four Ways to Scream Your Name EP before this album, and must have found it on some random you know, download site back then. Um, yeah, so when this full-length came out, I got it immediately. And that summer, or I guess the following summer after this, I was working. Um, I had moved to a really small town with a friend and lived with his family and worked. And I listened to this album every day on my lunch break, and it just really kind of carried me through that summer. So I've got lots of really good memories with this album. One of the things that, that I loved about and still love about um, your band is all the different kind of influences and sounds that you're able to incorporate. You know, there's such a dynamic array of, you know, whether it's like really melodic and like quiet to really loud and heavy and kind of everything in between. So I'm curious kind of how that all came together with you guys. Like what was, how did that look to write and, and to create music together with such an array of influences? Yeah, I think that was the thing really is um I'd been in bands with um with Darren, our guitarist before. I mean, you know, we we uh we had a we had a new metal band with like rapping and decks nice. and all, all that good stuff, you know, at the <laughs> in the late nineties when, you know, all that stuff was happening. Um and um, you know, he 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 and I were much more from the metal side of it, as was Chris, um, our guitar player. And it's you know Chris's two favorite bands uh, were Pantera and and Smash Pumpkins. Mm. So he's kind of got this you know this this sort of mashup of of those two styles. And then Matt, our singer, was just totally the 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 punk kid. Um, you know, we met him where he used to like write a fanzine uh, called Third Engine, and he turned up with his backpack. Uh, selling fanzines at shows, you know, is uh, you know, I guess you'd you'd have one of them in every community, you know, the dude with the backpack selling uh, his fanzine, and he was and he was that, and we never knew he could sing. Um, so when when the band started out, it was just an entirely heavy band. It was you know, it's essentially like a hardcore metal band. Um, and then when they found Matt who could sing, then I guess that allowed. Chris to indulge in his more, you know, melodic sensibilities. And um, it's like, you know, I have someone who can sing now. I may as well not just riff and try and write some songs. And uh, it came from that, really. And our bass player at the time, um, the first record, you know, he was he wasn't even really into punk, metal, hard, you know, he was like just all about Coldplay, really. Interesting. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and that sort of thing. So he, so you know, we'd be writing this stuff, and and I guess he'd always be pulling it back into this, you know, the song thing and the and the melodies and making sure that we always 
you know, had to have that chorus there. And so it was, um, yeah, it was really, yeah, it was an interesting dynamic. And um, you know, it's cool that you heard that in, in the records. And I think that's maybe, like you said earlier, what set us apart from some of the other bands in the scene, perhaps. Yeah, well, it's pretty impressive to make that all work. You know, sometimes bands try to add too many elements and maybe it doesn't translate well. And there was something about the way you guys did it that it just it seemed to work. And yeah, and I think why I loved it is because like when I first really got into music, it was like punk, skate punk. And then it went more into, you know, like hardcore metal. And so I just it was always cool to hear bands, especially at this time. Like I had the Internet, but it was still, you know, discovering things just wherever and and uh, so when something would stand out, it was like I just really grabbed onto it, and and you guys are one of those bands. So, yeah, um, yeah. Let's uh, let's get into uh, two of the songs that you picked off of this one. So, um, actually, both of the songs you picked were um, re like re-recorded or re-released from the the EP. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Because um, you know, I think there was definitely something really. Um, magical for us about that um that first recording session the the ep that we that we did i mean it was well it was it was originally it was four name four ways to scream your name but then when we released it stateside um we sort of packed together our first two eps so it was like seven ways to scream your name but the but the four way session you know that was the first time we'd ever been into a um i guess what you'd call you know we we had just got signed and we got more of a budget to go in a, a real studio and um you know we got asked about what producer we wanted to work with and uh and we we'd written some some pretty pretty melodic songs so we were like right we you know we want to make sure that it sounds quite heavy and um you know has that bite has that energy to it so we were like ah oh, could we do like you know could we work with colin richardson and and the label's like who's who's that like oh you know like carcass and napalm death and machine head and fear factory and and you know you can see them like oh mm, uh, that's (laughs) that's, uh, you sure that sounds like a bit intense but um but you know he he'd he'd done some cool melodic stuff as well you know he'd worked with um, you know all sorts of different bands so we're like no no we've got the we've written the songs you know we're, we're happy that we've got the songs we just want them to sound just really you know have that weight to them and um so that was the first time we went in and recorded with Colin and I remember just the process and um being like totally secluded uh in the middle of nowhere recording those songs and um finishing just like right before Christmas and I just remember us driving home in um in our bass player's car and it was like I think it must have been like a six seven hour drive back from the studio and it was like really snowy and it, it took us forever but we literally we had the the desk mixes of the four songs and I think we literally just listened to it on repeat the whole way home for about six or seven hours and we were just I just remember us feeling like so so proud of what we'd done and it, and it really feeling like a moment we, we you know that ride we just really felt like everything's about the change for us um and that was a pretty special and magical thing so I, I didn't even think about that when when i chose these songs but um you know now that i think about it i think it's uh it's definitely that connection that's that stayed with me with those songs yeah well let's talk about this first one escape artists never die 
one stand out to you or what do you remember about creating the song well that was one of the things when i was saying earlier when i, I joined the band after they'd uh, recorded their first ep the between order and model ep um and um and when and when i joined i was like you know do you, do you have any more demos or anything um you know what what are you guys working on what do you have 
um because they all they'd already had like an early version of she drove me to daytime television um and um you know that they had even started playing that live like in a different iteration it sounded different you know there was screaming on it and stuff and, and whatever i really loved that song um but then when i asked for the demos then uh chris gave me just basically a cassette of riffs and um one of them was like the sort of I guess the body of Escape Artist Never Die. It was just guitar. It was just guitar. And um, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. You know, why haven't you used this? And he was like, nah, it just it just sounds a bit too like Iron Maiden-y, a bit too metal. And I was like, I'm not hearing that. I'm hearing it completely different in my head entirely, you know, the, the way I'm thinking about it and the and the rhythms and things we can do with it. And I was like, you know, let's, let me, let me come over and, um, and try to like, you know, demo some drums. Cause I used to, for the demo, I used to have this like drum pad. It's like sort of 808 uh, Dr. Rhythm drum pad that I just like play on my fingers, the kick and snare and, and stuff like yeah. that. So I was like, you know, let's just play me those riffs and we'll, you know, we'll mess around with some rhythms and stuff. We'll get it sounding, sounding cool. And, um, and we did that, uh, and he was like, oh, yeah, actually, yeah, it doesn't actually sound like Maiden, really. I was like, yeah, no, it's cool. And um, and then Matt came in, and uh, the first thing he did was was put that chorus on it, the, you know, the wheels started fire and burn some bridges. Um, I was just like, oh, yeah, this is, this is going to be, this is going to be really cool. And, um, and we'd written it, and, and those were the riffs on it. Um, and it was just the riffs before you got to the sort of outro of the song. And then the outro of the song then came from, um, you know, we, we were all really big fans of, um, of the band hopes fall. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they, they had, um, they, they had a, uh, an EP and they had a song called end of an era, which is, you know, um, I'm sure lots of people know that song. It's like a classic. Um, and, it, it had the end of an era had this like huge outro that, that just you know started with the clean thing and it just you know built up layer by layer by layer and and just sort of came to this big crescendo really and um we were like oh wouldn't it be cool if we had that sort of you know an outro kind of like um you know in that style of you know the end of an era by Hope Soul and um Oh, that's what we did. You know, we worked on it and tried to, you know, put our own thing on that and to and to build it. And I already loved the song before we 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 put the outro on it. But then when 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 we put the outro on it and made it all sort of fit together, it was just like you know, it was just magic. And um, you know, it was, it was a really special one. Yeah, well, it's awesome that it came together from an idea that you know the guitar player didn't think was going to be anything, and it turned into this this great piece of music. So. Sometimes it just kind of takes a different ear hearing it and pulling something out and piecing different things together. Well, again, I think, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier, I think that was the thing with us because we all had different tastes and, you know, a different critical ear with things. Then someone could write a riff or, or, or sometimes even like some of our songs, um, 
you know, there's a challenge to go through some of them and, and figure out which songs these are. But for some songs was just Matt kind of playing on his acoustic guitar, singing like the, the melodies and the choruses of some of the songs that made it. But then they're completely different because then we sort of snatched that away and just wrote like these, you know, kept the same melodies, kept the same chords and just completely changed the sort of the feeling of the the riffs and the drums. Mm -hmm. I mean, Streetcar was one of those. So um, that was, you know, if you ever heard the first demo that Matt sent to us of Streetcar, it's just him and acoustic guitar, like a sort of folky song. Um, so yeah, we just like, well, that's a good song, but let's make that like a funeral. So we did that quite a lot as well. Yeah, well, that's awesome. I love, love hearing how those kind of things come together, you know, as someone on the outside. Yeah. The next, yeah, the next one is She Drove Me to Daytime Television.
daytime television is uh, pretty crappy, so let's hear about uh, why uh, someone was drove to that. <laughs> yeah, still still pretty crappy now, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I sort of alluded to it a little bit just uh, just a while ago about the fact that when I was still, when I was in my, my old band at the time and we were playing shows, um, the band the Funeral had recorded the first EP with the four songs and um you know that was predominantly heavy uh for the most part i mean you know even a song like juno on the first ep had more screaming on it it was heavier you know um but then i went to see them play my local venue uh so went down to hang out and stuff and they were like oh yeah we've got a new song we're gonna play tonight it's it's, it's pretty cool it's, it's a little bit different i was like oh cool i look forward to hearing that and um it was like a really early version of that song. I was like, oh, guys, you know, I was like, that's awesome. That's uh, that's so cool that you can do a song in that style. That's, uh, that's yeah, that's amazing. And um, and then when it came around to asking me to, to join the band, I was in another band that was, you know, pretty heavy, you know, hardcore and, a, you know, a bit more technical and, you know, it was sort of... Um, I don't know, you know, we were into stuff like Drowning Man and, and stuff like that. Um, and that, that's that's the kind of you know, Drowning Man, Poison, early Poison the Whale stuff. And that's the type of band. It, but when when I heard the way they could write a song like that, I think that was something that really um, excited me, uh, especially knowing that Matt could sing as well. So yeah. I think, you know, that was probably the one song that made up my mind that, that I should do that, you know, I should join this band because of, of the different, you know, of all the different places that we could possibly go in the future with with uh, with the music, and I guess it turned out that, that we did. So, yeah, no, that's yeah, that, that's cool when yeah, again, you know, when things come together, or you know, like for you to hear something that makes you think like, oh man, like I want to play with these guys or this style, right? Or just it excites you as a musician, and yeah, it's a good way to kind of have a legacy of a sound that stands out. So that's, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And I remember it being, the f- I think, I think I'm right in saying it was like the first ever song then that I um, played with them at rehearsal. Um, I th- yeah. Well, you know, maybe I jammed the ones that they already had on the EP, but then I made a point of saying, Oh, you know, can we, uh, can we try playing that um, dates on TV song? <laughs> uh, Cause I, I shared it, I guess two or three times live. And I already like I knew it in my head because it was so catchy and it was like stuck in my head. So, um, so yeah, we worked on that then, and that was yeah one of the first I guess the first song that then we completed as a band when I when I joined. So yeah. um, so that's that's another reason why uh, why it's quite special. Yeah, that's cool. Any insight into uh, lyrically, or do you not know that as much? I th- no, I think. At the time when they when they sort of first came up with the the rough idea of the song, they had the second vocalist, the heavy vocalist, who was um, on the first EP. So I think I think he contributed quite a bit of the the lyrics on that. Actually, uh, I remember something about some lines he used. I'm probably wrong about this, but it's something like he had been reading a magazine like when he was like in the waiting room at a dentist or something. And okay. it was like, <laughs> yeah. So and I, th- I think that was like one of the headlines about um, 
such holidays in the sun don't come without sacrifices. I, I'm, I remember some of it had come from like a magazine in a, in a waiting room. So uh, it's funny where some of these things come from. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, let's move on uh, to the next album, which is ours, which is your second full length. It was released June 13th, 2005 through Atlantic and ferret. Um, so what had you guys kind of learned or experienced since the last album? What were you hoping for going into this follow-up? Yeah, well, there'd been a lot of touring, that's for sure. Um, I, we, 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 we had done a lot of touring in the UK before uh, before the first record came out, before Casually Dressed came out. But yeah, the first the first tour we did to support that record, um, Casually Dressed, was around UK and Europe with Iron Maiden. So so that was obviously um, a learning curve. Um, yeah, being on tour with legends like that, but. But coming to the U.S. for the first time was was definitely really inspiring. Um, you know that tour that I mentioned earlier, and um, and we also yeah we also came out and did um, that Taking Back Sunday and a Treyu tour as well. Um, so and and we ended up doing that Project Revolution summer tour with like Linkin Park and oh, Korn yeah. and uh, <laughs> Snoop Dogg and. It was yeah, it was it was kind of crazy lineup because you had huge bands like that, and then you had stuff like No Warning was playing there. Yeah, uh, was that the same year that Less Than Jake did it, or was that a different year? Yeah, it was. Yeah, Less Than Jake. Oh, okay, yeah, Snoop, cool. Snoop Dogg. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah, it's just really crazy. So we wrote like most of the record on on that on that tour really, um, and we decided we wanted to do uh, we wanted to record it in the states just because. Um, just because I guess we were enjoying the States. And um, another thing, we really wanted to work with Terry Date then um, to produce the album because he produced so many of our favorite records, uh, you know, whether that be Pantera or Deftones or, you know, Soundgarden or um, White Zombie or, you know, the list, the list goes on yeah. and on. But, you know, really, really wanted to work with Terry. And um, he actually came out to see us on... Um, on one of those shows on that and came to watch us. He came to watch us on one of those Taking Back Sunday shows, actually. And, um, yeah, we we met and um, got along real well and and talked about... He basically said when he watched us, he's like, you don't really sound like you do on the first record live. And we're like, okay, is that is that like a compliment? Mm -hmm. Or <laughs> he's, he's like, yeah, yeah, it's like the, the, the first record sounds great but it doesn't really like capture the way you sound on stage as a band it doesn't capture your like energy um so so we did it really differently like that you know colin is a very as i was saying earlier he's worked with so many metal bands in the past he's a very meticulous and very precise uh producer you know he's got an incredible ear for detail and um just getting those perfect tones and perfect performances where i mean you know colin um terry is that too he can do that but he wanted to things to be a lot looser um and organic and, and sound more like our live show so you know we played everything live um like not to click track or anything oh, it was wow. just, I didn't realize that. yeah on that record it was just every, us in a room um playing for the most part i mean yeah obviously overdubs and stuff like that as well but right. um 
but yeah, that's that's how it ended up, you know, being such a, a different sounding record to the first. And we really wanted that. And um, I think as we, you know, as we progressed in our career, we always tried to take that um, that angle really of, of of trying to make each record sound and feel different to the next. And I think we did that, um, you know, for better or for worse sometimes. But but we always wanted to do that, and we always um, that was always the aim. Yeah, well, that's really cool. I'm going to have to, I mean, I just kind of listened through all your albums the last few weeks, but now I'm going to have to go back and listen to hours again just to see if I can notice that. Because usually bands that, you know, do those live ones, like I know Norma Jean did one like that and some kind of more, you know, chaotic kind of bands, but um, yeah. yeah, not necessarily bands kind of in this style. So that's, yeah, that's really cool. Did the, like, did you guys have any different hopes or aspirations for these songs or was it just kind of a continuation of, um, of the first album or what were you kind of thinking, you know, creatively with this one? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it, it, it had become at that point, just our lives were, were was touring, um, you know, it, that, that was, that was our life was touring and, um, it was just, <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds like a, a kind of flippant, but it was like, we just wanted some cool songs to play live, um, to change the setup because we'd been playing, you know, the same songs for so long. Yeah. We were just, you know, we were thinking about songs that would work, um, in the, in our live set. And, and I, I think that's what that, that record is really is, you know, trying to, uh, you know, put songs in there that we that we felt like like we didn't have maybe. Um, so yeah, we, there was no. I don't think there was any re- real grand plan. Yeah, to it. yeah, it was just you know we, because we wrote so much of it. You know, almost all of it whilst we were on tour. Um, you know, we had a little um, you know mini recording thing at the back of of um, of the bus when we were touring the US and. You know, we'd spend most of the day working on stuff and we'd come off stage and it'd be like, you know, oh, I wish we had a song at this pace or I wish we had this kind of song in the set, which we don't currently, you know, let's try writing something like that maybe. Um, but yeah, some of the songs came like super organically, for example, um, like with History. <laughs>
hadn't written that song um, before we got to the studio, and um, and yeah, the only the reason we we started we wrote well, I mean, Chris, our guitar player, wrote the music to that after because we had we were meant to start recording in the in the like November, in December um, with Terry, but it was the year that um, the Dimebag was murdered. Um, So basically that happened just before we were about to go to the studio to record with Terry. And, um, and obviously, you know, Terry was, was very close to to Dimebag, um, you know, produced all but one of their records and, um, you know, it was a close friend. So Terry needed some time, um, you know, to time off and whatnot. And um, so we ended up going in there later. And there was just this one day where uh, I guess Terry kind of like opened up um, and started talking to us about Pantera, started talking to us about, about Dime. Um, and I think, you know, we, we sat there, I think the whole day, I don't think we tracked anything. We just talked for hours and hours about, about the band, you know, because we were all such huge fans and, um, you know, Dimebag was Chris's favourite guitar player. So we, there was just this sort of mood, I guess. And mm. and then Chris went out into the, into the sort of, I don't know, the, the green room and uh, picked up his guitar and started playing the chords to history just because it, that was like the way he was just, feeling you know he was feeling quite sort of sad and um and that and that song came from that energy i guess from from that situation um so that was like super organic like totally it was just like you know he was feeling that weight of emotion on that day and that, and that song just came out poured out and we i think we were you know we ended up recording the music for that song the next day wow um, out of nowhere so so yeah some cool things like that happened at the studio yeah yeah that's a really unique yeah way to to write and to be inspired and there's so many different situations that can inspire and influence music which i think is which is awesome you know i wouldn't listen to this song and think oh this sounds like it was inspired by pantera but you know which it probably wasn't musically but even just the whole you know like you said environment and and mm. just the the weight of it, and so that's yeah, that's really cool. I also like the point you made about you know writing on tour. I don't know if I've ever really heard anybody say you know, because um, I feel like it's usually bands either don't like writing on tour, they just want to focus on playing, or or they do because they've got lots of time and they're inspired by different things, and and so I really like that where it's like, hey, we don't have a song like this in the set, you know, like just something like that, right? You're playing the same songs every night and kind of feeling a void of some kind. It's like, yeah. oh, well, let's make sure we have that on the next one, you know? So that's a, a cool way to, to look at that as well. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, let's uh, let's move on to uh, the next album. So Tales Don't Tell Themselves. It uh, charted at number three in the UK, selling 25,000 copies in its first week when later went uh, silver, which is awesome. I'm not sure if that's one of the ones in the background there. Um, I don't know if it is actually. Um, no, that's sitting over there somewhere. Yeah, that's over there. You, you yeah. just got so many gold and silver records, you can't keep track of them, hey? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of a mess in here at the moment. I just oh. got some got some new drums this week. So, yeah. oh, awesome. Yeah, so yeah, this this album was released on uh, May fourteenth, two thousand seven. 
Um, so during this recording, um, you, the drummer, recorded your cymbals separately from the rest of your drums, you know, doing the cymbals on the electronic while recording basic drums. And so I, I'm a drummer as well. And so that immediately stood out to me. And so that's a really unique process, like what, from a drum standpoint, how, how did that decision come about and what was that like, you know, from your experience? Yeah, I mean, it means that I had to record the album twice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's that crazy. Was, uh, so the second was, time you're just standing there just banging cymbals or what? Like, how does that... Well, well, how it started was um, for for the writing of the record, um, I got some, like, like Roland uh, V-drums um, so we could, like, write. And, de- you know, it was, it was still, like, you know, it was 2005. So, I mean, we had, like... Garage band on the Mac or whatever, you know, we didn't have very uh, high tech recording gear or anything, but I could just plug the, the the kit into that, and then we've got drums. Then, so that was cool. So we were doing that, and we were doing demos, and um, and we uh, and we once once we 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 chosen our uh, producer uh, Gil Norton, then who we who we went into work with who'd. You know, he did lots of stuff we loved. Like, you know, he 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 produced the color and shape by Foo Fighters and and Futures by Jimmy World. Yeah, and stuff, that's you know. awesome. Yeah, so you know, and he's a, he's a British guy too. Um, so so um, so yeah, so he he had the demos and uh, he liked them. And then he came down to our rehearsal space and I saw that I was doing these demos on this electric kit, and um, he was like. Yeah, like kit sounds pretty good actually. It's like, you know, what do you think about like using that to on the album to record the album? And I was like, uh, uh, I mean, I don't mind like doing demos on it and, and I can rehearse on it, but I don't, you know, I want real drums in the studio. And he was like, okay, okay, cool. All right. Well, just, you know, bring them up anyway, just in case we might need them for something. I was like, yeah, cool, cool, okay. Um, so then he had this idea. Then it was like, well, if we 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 had the we had the acoustic kit all set up, you know, the the, the symbols. And he's like, what if we like flew in the um, like the fake the pad symbols from the electric kit, and you played those. And you know, I can put those in your monitors, those those cymbal sounds, and then we can record those. Uh, we can no, we can record the drums, but then you're not gonna have any sort of um anything from the cymbals, any bleed or anything, any noise. So so I can you know, I can rank up the reverb on the kick on the snare and the toms, and all you get in cymbal-wise is just like like, yeah. like that. But in my ears. I'm getting the sound of the real kick, snare, toms, etc., whilst also getting this, you know, the sort of synthetic sound, the, the electric, electronic sounds of the cymbals as well. So for me, it sounds like kind of normal in there, but he's only getting like what's going on in that room. So then he's able then to, you know, to manipulate those sounds and get those big sounds without having to contend with all the noise from the cymbals. Yeah. So he's like, oh yeah, that's really cool. Let's do that for the whole album. As I, uh, as like again, I was like, okay, yeah, <laughs> but like I like doing stuff with some of my, you know, I got some like effect symbols. You know, I like using my splash. I like using my Z bell. I like using yeah. my China. And he's like, okay, well, we'll do it this way, and then. We'll reverse it then 
afterwards so you can do all the symbols stuff. I was like, what do you mean? It's like, well, we'll take the drum kit away and we'll put the electric kit there, but we'll just put the real hi-hat and all your symbols there so you can do it again. And then we'll just mesh the two together. <laughs> I was like, uh, I guess we could try it. Um, and yeah, it sounded really cool. So so that's kind of what we did, which is kind of crazy, really. But it was it was fun. <laughs> yeah, and did that like mess up your playing? That throw you off? Because there's, I mean, it is a total different feel from electronic to acoustic drums, right? So even just thinking when it was the electric cymbals, like you don't need to hit them nearly as hard, right? So does that throw off then? You know, hitting the drums and then like how does that all work together? Yeah, no, it was it actually worked. You know, I was I was dubious. Um, I was like, oh, this that's you know, I only went you know I, I gave it a try because you know the the respect that I had for Gil and everything you know it's like you know he's like recorded some of the greatest yeah. drummers of all time. So if he wants me to try something, I'll I'll give it a try. You know, I was like in my head, I was like, there's no way this is going to work. This is a stupid idea, but you know, it's Gil. I'll do it. I'll try it, and then we did it. And he was like, oh, come come back in the room and like listen to how good th- this sounds. And I was like, wow, yeah, it does sound really good. Um, so I was like, okay, so I guess I need to record the album twice. It's like, well, yeah, I guess so. So I was like, ah, whatever, I will. Fine, sounds good. So uh, so yeah, it actually worked. It, it felt it felt all right, you know. Even so much so now that I that I've even started thinking, um, because I just bought um, a Pearl Emerge, um, like the, the the new V drums that Pearl does, because I'm a Pearl player, I've always played okay. Pearl drum, and now they've moved into uh, electronic drums with Korg, and they sound awesome. So I'm almost like, next time I play, should I maybe just use those pads because um, they even look like drums because they got the you know the kick the proper kick drum and everything. I was like, should I just do that and have cymbals? So I'm kind of compl- con- contemplating that a yeah. little bit. Oh, that'd be, be interesting. Honest. Maybe, yeah. We'll yeah. see. No, oh, that's cool. Yeah, well, from one drummer to another, your drumming always stood out to me, like, especially on, like, when I was, you said, I was listening to Casually Dressed a lot, like, you know, I'd always pick up, you know, like that Z bell or just the different, you know, there's a few different patterns that you would do that I was just like, oh, I don't hear a lot of drummers playing like that. It was, you know, and again, maybe being a drummer just kind of stood out. But, anyways, yeah, I, I always really loved Thank your drumming. You, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, I've been I've been told by um, some people. Um, well, pe- people in my family who like because I, I, I grew up as a. I learned to play piano first. That okay. was my first instrument, um, and um, apparently, I play drums like a piano. If that makes. Any yeah. sense? Well, I'm the only um, kid in my family that didn't play piano. <laughs> right, there you go, yeah. Well, this is it. it. Yeah, in my head, those Z-bells are like the high part of the piano, you know? Yeah. Um, so well, it just, yeah, of... it just accented the parts and added so much. Like, I can even just picture in my head. Uh, I can't remember the song, but you're kind of doing like... Like potting, potting, like from a crash on every opposite hit, you're hitting the Z bell or something like that. You know, I'm not yeah, casually yeah. dressed, but anyways, that's kind of a. I don't need to sound out the drum part, but yeah, there's just things like that. I was over here to be like, oh, that's awesome. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try steal that, you know, or just like, you know, just 
gave me ideas of like, Mm -hmm. oh, I never would have thought thought of that. But um, yeah, I mean, it just kind of goes into the eclectic nature of your band. So um, yeah, but back to this album. I mean, I love this album. It's so different from your past albums, you know, from the sound of the record to the overall theme of the album lyrically. So how did this idea come about? You know, was it more difficult to write? And were you ready for, you know, a change in sound at this point? Or kind of what was all happening going into uh, Tales Don't Tell Themselves? Yeah, I mean, I think again, it it had just been non-stop touring all the way up until then. So I mean, I guess it'd been like four years almost straight touring. Um, so by the time we'd, I mean, we had done like Warp Tour twice, I guess by then, or maybe just the once. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I don't want it to sound like disrespectful to you know all the bands that we were tall with but it it felt like everything had been done you know within that scene it, it, it felt like it was getting played out and it felt like it was getting you know just um that there wasn't much creativity left within yep. that you know that, that sort of system but um so we were just i don't know really i mean we we started we, we started writing and um we were you know, we were writing stuff that sounded like the first two records and it just, it was just boring. Um, we were doing it and, and we, we made a bunch of demos and we we're like, oh, what do you think? And we were just like, yeah, I guess it's fine. Um, and then we started experimenting then and doing some different, um, different stuff. And, you know, I'd, 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 I'd started playing piano again and like bought a new keyboard and was messing around with all these sounds and stuff. And we started writing like different stuff. Like, you know, I came up with um, the intro to Into Oblivion because um, that was going to be like the sort of intro to the album, um, yeah. just like an, in- an intro track. And then, I, you know, I took that to the guys and... Um, they sort of ran with it then and made it a full track. Um, and Matt had some like lyrics and vocal ideas to it. And I was like, oh, well, that's a song. Um, does, yeah, it still sounds like Funeral. And I think that was the catalyst then to be like, oh, you know, we can do something different here if we want and something exciting. And, um, and Matt was just like, lyrically, he was, I think, struggling because he'd said, I think, all he needed to say um, about his life up to that point. Yeah. Um, it's just like, oh, you know, I've sort of sang about all the shit that I'm, you know, has hurt me maybe, you know, or like, you know, things I wanted to get off my chest. I feel like I have by now, you know, over the course of the first two records and two EPs. So it's like, I don't know what to write about, honestly. Um, Cause you know, he was happy then you know he had, he had met his wife he was married and he was like i'm not that guy right now um to be writing these sort of lyrics that, that that i've written on the first couple of albums so he's like oh you know maybe if we write like a concept record or something um thought, okay and you know, the first time we told the record label that we were gonna write the concept record about a fisherman lost at sea they were just like <laughs> what <laughs> like oh yeah 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 it'll, it'll be cool don't worry um but they definitely did worry um but then i think as soon as they were like ah okay so we're gonna get some songs it's not just gonna be like 
12 minutes epics uh yeah. you know that we you know we did we did go off on some tangents during the record i mean you know shit you know we got a, an orchestra for a couple of the tracks on the records and stuff um but but you know we tried to base it in very much in in songs and not be too self-indulgent so it was just exciting it was just fun it was just cool um it was just different um and that's well, that's why we did it honestly yeah well yeah it's definitely a, a more moody dynamic album um yeah and you know with most bands in this kind of scene when a band has a fairly major shift you know it could be you know hard on some of the fans did you feel you know any backlash with that or sense that your fan base was you know happy with it or annoyed with it or what was the kind of reception to this album yeah there was definitely backlash from you know from from some fans because and i understand that because i've been that fan i mean sometimes now i'm still that fan where a band i like does something different and, and i'm like hey you know, it's like, where's that, where's, you know, where, where's that, you know, those riffs that I liked or, you know, where's that like screaming that you used to do or it's like, oh, you know, how come, how come you're not as fast as you used to be, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that was, used to piss me off as a fan and, um, and we had kind of done that. So, so there was definitely a bit of that. Um, but, but yeah, it was, it was a funny time really. It was, it was weird because it, it had become like, our most successful record at release, you know, with, mm. with, you know, charting and sales and, you know, we were playing like the biggest shows that we, that we'd ever played, but it was, it, it was definitely, yeah, a, a big, um, it was weird. Yeah. Cause some fans were like, you know, this is, this is not the same band, but of course it is the same band, but then we were reaching out to, you know, we had got to these other places where we were getting like in the UK getting played on like, you know, all the biggest, like, TV shows and sitcoms and shit, you know, yeah, it was like awesome. our songs were in the background and um, we were playing like massive shows with uh, like all the biggest like pop stars and stuff. It was weird. Um, and it, it, you know, it would have felt probably a bit shit if we had known that we were going in it and we were, and, you know, those are our motives and we were trying to like, quote unquote, sell out. But right. It, because it was coming from a pure place it was just it was more funny than anything else it was like <laughs> you know ending up on these tv shows and, and and things like that and these huge shows it was just like oh this is quite funny um but yeah it was it was it was a funny time it was a strange time and um not everyone came along for the ride yeah well you know and sometimes you need to take a risk like that right like it's yeah. it's not the end of the world if you do something different and and like you said, it helped the band in some ways, and maybe you know it hurt it in some ways. But you know, hopefully, you know you kind of come out the other side, you know, with more, you know, fans and people appreciating it, and you know, you as musicians having that opportunity to, you know, to expand what you're capable of doing. So I think that's a yeah a great thing to do. Well, so, it's yeah. quite funny. Yeah, it's quite a funny thing where you know we announced like we're doing in January our first tour that we've done since 2016 um and like when we we're, we're just playing tracks off the first three records on the tour um and then when people saw that it was part of the the tales and tell themselves artwork was part of the like the tour poster and we we're playing from that it's just funny how many of them were like oh yeah that's my favorite funeral record and it's like oh really okay are you change your tune 
yeah so it's um, so that's gonna be cool to play more songs from that record yeah and that's and that's the thing right in the time maybe it seems like a big drastic thing but if you kind of look at it like this is a piece of art that's going to be out there for however long right so maybe now it's not necessarily you know reaching our fans in the way that maybe they would like but right you know 10 20 years it it changes and i've heard that lots of musicians right where at the time it seemed like maybe an odd choice but just something that needed to happen and then yeah. you know 10 years later it's most of their fan base's favorite album and so i think that's great when a band can almost kind of foresee that and is willing to you know go through maybe the ups and downs of those shifts to know yeah. that you know like we're creative types we we know this is going to have la- more lasting value than just you know a two year record cycle and so it's it's worth you know kind of pushing those boundaries to to kind of have that long term payoff. So good on you guys for doing that. Yeah, well, you know, we did we did try to do it, I guess, their way in terms of you know trying to do the same, you know, stick to the formula. Yeah. Um, you know, we tr- we tried that on the first record on the third record, and we 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 got we went down that path, and it was just like this. This just feels shit this feels wrong um so you know this is where we ended up so it's cool yeah let's talk about the song the sweetest wave
is a yeah, very dynamic song. You know, the first half or a bit more is quite, you know, moody and slower and up and down, and then it really picks up, and it's, yeah, it really kind of takes you on a journey. So why don't you share why, why this song stands out to you from this album? Yeah, I think that's, you know, the the, the biggest departure as well. Um, and, I, you know, it's fun for me. I got to, like, play piano on it and stuff, and, um, you know, that was another one of the songs that I had written and, and and brought to the band um uh just because you know i thought it would it would fit so well with with matt's narrative that he had started to establish uh with the with the with the fisherman at sea thing um so you know i sort of wrote that with 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 that in mind and um you know when i demoed it it had like you know really basic like string stuff on it just 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 from a keyboard but but then when Gil Norton heard it, uh, the demo, and he's like, oh, you know, we need to, that needs to be the last track on the record. He's like, oh, you know, we need to get a real orchestra on there. And I was like, yeah, cool. I mean, yeah, that'd be great. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know someone who can, um, who can do the, the the score and do the, do the sheets and stuff. I was like, oh, cool, cool. Who's that? And he's like, oh, yeah, she did, she did all the strings uh, arrangement for, like smashing pumpkins, melancholy, and the infinite sadness. I was like, "What?" Uh, I was like, <laughs> wow. Chris, "You know." He's like, "Oh yeah, you've heard tonight, tonight." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I've heard tonight, tonight." It's like, "Oh yeah, she did all that on there, and um, yeah, she did everything for Muse as well." And I was like, "Shit, yeah, come on, let's do it." And um, and she came down, a lady called Audrey Riley, and um, she took the demos away, um, and then she came back like a few weeks later with like like a sort of keyboard pro version of what she would, you know, how she was hearing these songs. And like, we were totally blown away. It's like, that's wow. Hearing all these like melodies and things intertwining and, um, you know, horn sections and timpani drums. And this was just all on keyboard and we're like, yeah, that's incredible. Wow. And she's like, oh yeah, yeah. I can get the, you know, the, the London symphony to, to play. And I know, you know, I know some people that owe me a favor okay so like i remember just going down and and watching that being recorded and performed wow. in this in this huge studio with like there was a full orchestra which is like a huge orchestra and you had your you know your horn players and your guy on the timpani drum and just you know all the woodwind stuff and and i was just it was the most proud i'd ever been of like standing there and watching that and being like you know i came up with this song in my bedroom on you know sitting on the floor playing on my keyboard um and it's like this is where it's ended i was like this is just blown my mind completely so so that was really really cool yeah what an incredible experience yeah i wanted to mention the the orchestra arrangements on this album yeah again very unique for you know this genre of music but man it just adds uh, such a depth to to the songs you know and just opens it up and and uh yeah it just creates so much more to uh the concept of this album so yeah that's awesome yeah it, it, yeah i mean it was incredible and you know credit to to gil norton for having those contacts and you know if you listen to the end of um this uh, uh swedish way before it kicks back in at the end it's like a like a sort of choir like a vocal choir yeah um, and that's the <laughs> and um it turns out that that was the vocal choir then who did all the stuff on the Harry Potter movies. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, 
and then if you go and listen back you can be like oh yeah yeah I guess yeah you can you can actually hear that it's that ensemble because it's just yeah it's just so it's them um so that was really cool when they came in to do that it's like oh yeah you know what have you done lately i was like oh yeah we've you know harry potter and like the philosopher's stone and I was like oh wow that was you it's like, oh yeah that was us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it was like, okay, we're in good hands. This will be cool. Yeah, from Harry Potter to hardcore. How about that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this album's not as not as heavy, but yeah, no, <laughs> that's yeah, lots of great stories with that. And yeah, if people haven't checked out that album, definitely go do because it's a real gem uh, in your discography. So yeah, let's move on to your last choice. Here it comes from Welcome Home Armageddon, uh, which was released March fourteenth in the UK, March fifteenth, two thousand eleven, in the US. Uh, it was also uh, the last full length that, that you were on, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it was the last. Fu- well, yeah, it's fun because I we we were touring that record, and and I sort of at the end of the cycle, um, you know, I said I was going to leave. I'd be leaving the band, um, but we had written Conduit, the next record, and oh, okay. we demoed it. Yeah, so and we had demoed it. Um, and, you know, I'd put all my drums down. So I actually recorded Conduit with Funeral. Um, and there is a version somewhere with my drums on it for Conduit. But um, basically, when I when I left then, because that was part of the deal, it's like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll record Conduit with you and then I'll leave. I was like, okay, cool. Um, and then the label said, so, oh, you know, we're going to, we, we think we should wait a year to put out the record. Um, just after I'd left because, you know, we feel like it just needs a bit of a gap or whatever. So um, so the band then, obviously, they had to get a new drummer. So they're like, oh, well, we need to wait a year, so we may as well get our new drummer to, to drum on it. I was like, yeah, well, yeah, of course, that makes total sense. Um, so, yeah, so he played on Conduit then, you know, he sort of played, um, you know, over my part. So, you know, okay. put, put his part. Um, so, yeah, so there is actually a version of Conduit somewhere out with with me playing on it. But um, it's there somewhere. I, I don't think I have a copy, but I quite like to hear that now, actually. Yeah. What brought about your departure and how was that transition for you after spending, you know, so much time with the band? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things. I mean, you know, family was a big one. You know, my, my, my daughter was sort of, um, she, she was... I guess, you know, what she would have been at the time, like four or five at the time. And, you know, I was, I was missing a lot of her life. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that, that was, that was one of the things it, it was just, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd sort of got over it, I think at that point. And I wasn't enjoying touring because I was missing home so much. Right. Um, and I don't know. Yeah. That was a big part of it. And, and I and started getting into management as well at the time. Um, and I kind of, I was like, oh, you know, I, I want to pursue something different. Um, so as you know, it's not beef or anything, I've, you know, obviously, cause I stayed and recorded the album after right. that. Um, but it was just, yeah, I just wasn't looking forward to going on tour and, you know, I would dread going on tour. I'd be like, you know, looking at my calendar and be like, ah, oh, damn, I need to go, I gotta go on tour again. And it was, you know, making me anxious and it was, you know, making me just, you know, scared of going on tour again. I just didn't want to go on tour anymore. Yeah. Um, I think when you get to that point, it's like, okay, well, that's just not then, because obviously it's not a healthy uh, thing yeah. to do anymore. So, so yeah, so that's where we got to. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, this album kind of goes back a bit more to your original sound. So uh, kind of how was that creative process for this? So you did Tales Don't Tell Themselves, you know, you really shifted your sound. So kind of what happened, you know, between that album and this one and kind of how was that creative process? Yeah, I think I think when we did the album after Tales and Tell Themselves. Oh, yeah, um, that's right. There was uh, another one before this one. Yeah, and 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 yeah, I mean that is a kind of in between an album, I think you know, um, because even even though we'd had success on on Tales, um, you know, as we said earlier, there was some backlash there um, because it wasn't as heavy. It wasn't you know didn't have the the riffs or heavy vocals or anything like that on it. Um, and I think, you know, whether whether subconsciously or not, when we wrote the next record, um, Memory and Humanity was, it, you know, it was, it, it was a reaction to that, like I say, whether subconsciously or not, it, you know, we were trying to, I don't know, it felt like we were stuck sort of between two things, you know, we were, we were neither the band, you know, making this sort of, music that we were making on our first two records and yet you know we weren't um you know doing a record like tales we were just sort of somewhere in between floating around and you know i don't think there was enough like conviction with that record you know i don't think we really had an understanding and real solid direction of how we wanted that record to be uh so it's quite loose you know and it's quite um here and there a little bit you know some good songs on it and stuff yeah. but um yeah, but 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 then, you know, after that, then um, between between that time and um, and Welcome Home Armageddon, um, you know, two of the original lineup, you know, our bass player and guitarist um, had decided to leave the band right. at separate times, and um, and we got the bass player and guitar player from the band that I was in before joining Funeral. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so so that was kind of that was kind of cool so so you know they brought because that band for whatever reason um honda mclean you know that they they were they were a great band but they they never quite broke it you know and we were off doing all this stuff around the world and they never got to do that so when they joined the band it was just like wow this is amazing you know we get to tour here we're playing these big shows blah 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 um so there was this renewed energy then and and there was a lot of honesty as well from their side, you know. Where they're like, ah, oh, you know, I, I didn't really like your last record, guys. You know, I'll be honest. And we were like, oh, you know, why? Um, it's like, ah, oh, it just, I don't think it sounded like you guys. Uh, oh, okay. Um, it's like, oh, you know, it's missing this and it's missing that. And and then you know they brought a lot to that, and it's one of my favorite records. Uh, Welcome Home Armageddon. I think you know it's um, for me it's it's as good as any of our other records. I think um, you know we had a lot of fun writing it, uh, a lot of fun recording it, and um, yeah, I think it, it definitely stands up with with with, with the first two, um, you know, first two, first three um, in the catalog, and you know it's it's an album that you know if we do end up playing more shows and, and whatnot in future I'd, I'd love at some point to specifically revisit that record and play a lot more songs from it live you know maybe even the whole album we've never done that um i'd love to do that one day because i love that record and it's it's actually become quite prophetic as well in terms of the um some of the 
message throughout the record, you know, and um, the way the world has kind of gone to shit a little bit. So uh, might be quite apt. Yeah, yeah, well, let's talk about the song Front Row Seats to the End of the World. said this is one of your favorite albums how did you pick this this song yeah i think um like i say when we did the record before when we did memory and uh humanity we were like 
dipping our toe back into the heaviness a little bit, um, you know, and it was a bit, it was, it was token a little bit, you know, it was like, oh, you know, we need to put some heavy back here, guys, um, a little bit. And, and then it, there wasn't really anything that heavy on that record. Um, so with this one, it was a case of like, if we're going to do something heavy, let's, let's make it heavy, you know, let's, 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 and, um, and up until then, you know, with, you know, I, I'd always done the the heavy vocals in the band yeah. and, you know, Matt had basically, you know, it, it was quite funny because Matt would demo the heavy vocals, like with his lyrics and with his phrasing. Um, but he would do them almost like sort of almost jokey, like cookie monster uh, voice. And he'd be like, oh, you know, can you like actually like do it properly? But like that. It's like, oh, yeah, cool, cool, cool. You know, I'll just go in and do that, you know, those parts, but me doing it. Whereas this was the first song where Matt was just like, yeah, man, just do your thing. Um, you know, you go ahead and, you know, write it and do it. Um, and even, you know, even like we, we were recording it in the studio and he was like, I need to go um, somewhere today. And while well, he was doing something, he's like, just do your thing, man. And um, I'll come back later. And uh and he came back. He was like, "Yeah, man, that's fucking cool. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome." Um, I was like, "Do you like want to change any of that, or you know, because like you're the vocal guy in the band. Yeah, I'm the drummer, but I'll do the heavy stuff. But you know, that's your domain." He's like, "No, nah, man, it's cool. Um, love it." So, so yeah, you know, we 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 did that track, and I think another thing then that um, makes me quite, you know, hold it in quite uh you know high regard is just the fact that we when we did the music video for it we we went to brazil for the first time to tour and it was um you know it was a really crazy tour and it was really fun but that music video for that song is basically like you know a little scrapbook of being in brazil and uh having these cool times so so i always think of that as well as it's a good reminder to to some good times too so between those two things i think that's uh that's why that one stands out for me yeah awesome i'll have to i'm sure i saw the video years ago i'll have to go back and and check that out but yeah lots of good insight and background into that album um yeah so you know i know there's lots that we didn't get to cover you know there's there's lots of info on your band's wikipedia page if people want more info but i think this kind of gives a good overview of of the band and your time with the band and um yeah so you've kind of alluded to to touring again playing some shows so i guess like first off so how did you kind of reintegrate back into the band is it just because you know it's more kind of one-off stuff and how did that all come about yeah, well, I mean, I, I left the band at the end of 2011 um, and the band kept going there until like mid-2016 and, you know, they announced that um, they were calling it a day. Um, so, you know, I went along to the to their last show, um, you know, got up and did like a, a vocal cameo and that was fun, you know, we, we, we got to hang out and everything because... You know, don't get to see everyone so much. Yeah. Uh, so that so that was cool. That was that was really good. Um, and that was the end of the band. You know, everyone. You know, that was the intention that the band was was done. Then um, that that was how it was going to be. And then in 2019, then um, a friend of ours got um, got sick and like diagnosed with a with a terminal illness, and and we were like, oh shit, man. You know, and and I started talking to our guitarist because because he was like. 
the guy Stu was like literally you know our biggest fan and was like our biggest supporter and always had been I was like you know can we do you have any like guitars you can auction um you know just for like a fundraiser or you know I said you know I can sell some I guess some like drums and memorabilia and shit it's like yeah yeah okay cool cool and we started talking we're like, do you know what? I mean, the, the way we could actually raise like the most um, money for, for Stu and his family would be to do some shows. We're like, yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, would you? I was like, yeah, I would. Yeah, I'd do it. Yeah, of course. Um, so that was just me and Chris talking. Um, so then, you know, we reached out to the other guys and we didn't know. I mean, the only reason I say we didn't know what Matt would say is because he had totally left that part of his life behind, mm. moved to Germany, um, stopped singing, you know, hadn't sung for three years. Um, so we're like, oh, you know, maybe he's not going to be able to. But in fairness, you know, he's like, yes, for Stu, we'll do it. Um, so we did that, you know, we did, it was only going to be one show. It ended up being three just because people wanted to get tickets and whatnot. And um I think, you know, the sh- the, it, those shows are just so powerful and um, we had such a good time. Um, it was like, oh, well, maybe it would be fun to do this again sometime. You know, we said that like directly after the show. Yeah. And then the, the day after then, um, the organizer from Download Festival in the UK called me and I was like, I was like oh, you know, I heard the show was amazing last night. Sorry, I couldn't be there. You know, we'd we'd love you to play download next year um, so that, you know, your other fans that couldn't get tickets for these three, you know, quite small shows, um, you know, would love to watch you guys play. So that was going to be that. But then COVID happened, the lockdown, uh, yeah, oh, um, which dragged everything back. So um, that all got put back. So it was like, oh, well, okay, we well, may as well do one more tour then, um, which which then got put back again. So hopefully we get to do that in January um, and then play download next year. But after that, who knows? I mean, the the, the good thing is now we're just enjoying it. Yeah. Um, there's no pressure. There's no expectation. You know, we're not trying to sell anything. We're not trying to sell a new record. We're not trying to, we're just, just having fun. Um, and people are responding and, 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 you know, we're playing shows and, and it's great. Um you know, we played two shows at Slamdunk Festival, um, I guess, yeah, it was earlier this month, start of this month, and it was just amazing. It was just great. Um, so it's like, as long as it's fun, why not? Why not? So Yeah, well, it's such an interesting cycle, you know, like bands of your era, you know, you start and you, you know, get to live out your dreams and it starts turning from fun to work to stress. And then, you know, so you call it a day you end it and then you get to a point where it's like okay now we can just do this for fun again and just leave it at that and so it's just i mean yeah it's it's not a unique thing right there's lots of bands kind of doing that and because there's you know nostalgia and time to it there's still lots of people that want to you know buy tickets or see these bands and so it's just really cool kind of seeing this resurgence of these bands you know now that it's kind of at the point when a band announces a breakup it's kind of like why not just announce a hiatus? Cause you'll probably be back in a few years anyways. So it's just kind of this funny yeah. thing, but yeah, you don't really know right at that time. It's like, no, I need to be done. And then you, you know, enough time goes by and it's like, okay, I think I can handle doing this for fun again. So yeah. Anyways, yeah. yeah. That's, that's awesome. And I hope those go really well. And that's yeah, great to hear that. 
you're, you guys are back together and all that. And so, but yeah, I don't want to keep you any longer. I know it's late there. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk and share. And yeah, yeah, I mean, like I said, I've been a fan of your band for a long time. So this is really cool for me to get to connect with you and, and uh, ask you questions. So thanks so much. Well, thank you, Anya. Appreciate it, man.